0: tonight and we trust the lord will bless you for spending some time together in his word we are tonight in the gospel of matthew we're continuing our journey through matthew's gospel and through the life and ministry of the lord jesus christ and tonight we are picking up in matthew chapter 4 and verse 12 is where we're going to begin our reading matthew chapter 4 and verse 12 where we read, Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And in leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtalim, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, galilee of the gentiles the people which sat in darkness saw great light and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death light is sprung up from that time jesus began to preach and to say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and jesus walking by the sea of galilee "'saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, "'casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. "'And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. "'And they straightway left their nets and followed him. "'And going on from thence he saw other two brethren, "'James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, "'in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets.' And he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. This fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, and from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. We trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. The 16th century Italian painter Caravaggio, who lived in a time when only members of royalty and high society, only the aristocracy, were considered important enough or appropriate subjects for the immortality of art, Caravaggio received scathing criticism for depicting the people of the Bible as common folk. His painting of St. Matthew and the Angel came in for particular criticism from church leaders so that it had to be redone. They simply couldn't accept that Matthew should be portrayed with physical features belonging to an everyday laborer. But Caravaggio was right about the people of the Bible. Jesus himself grew up in the home of a carpenter, a laborer. And when his time came to go public, he was proclaimed by the weather-worn preacher John the Baptist. His disciples, as we've just read, were fishermen and his congregations were just a gathering of common people who heard him gladly. By befriending those who had been demon-possessed, those who were lepers, those who were fishermen, even despised tax collectors, the teacher from Nazareth showed that no one is too poor, too sinful, or too insignificant to be his follower. And we see that truth played out in our text this evening in the very first rays of the Lord Jesus' ministry. Jesus didn't seek out the prestigious pulpits and synagogues of Jerusalem. He wasn't much interested in rubbing shoulders with the high and mighty with kings and the like. He wasn't interested in the companionship of the theological academia that surrounded the courts of the temple in Jerusalem. His love was for the ordinary man and the ordinary woman he was a defender of the underdog a lover of common people i want you to see this as we look through our text this evening and the first thing that we get a glimpse of is jesus and the downcast look in verse 12 now when jesus had heard that john was cast into prison he departed into galilee and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtalene, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtalene by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people which sat in darkness saw great light, And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now we read in verse 12 that... When Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. Now Galilee, if you look at a map of Israel, lies up to the northwest area of the Sea of Galilee, and it's it's not an area that is held in high regard by the elitist who lived and worked in Jerusalem at that time. Even the citizens of Galilee didn't hold the place in high regard. You may recall that when Nathaniel was first introduced to Jesus and was told that by his brother that he had found the Messiah, his response was, can any good thing come out of Galilee? There was, in ancient Israel, as there is in many parts of the world, a north south divide. The Southerners were the sophisticates, the educated, the people of culture, the intelligentsia. After all, the temple itself was located in the city of Jerusalem, and that's where the greatest minds, the greatest scholars, the greatest teachers would go to practice their trade until Jesus came. So the people of Jerusalem and Judea were more than a little sniffy, about people who came from galilee farmers and fishermen now between the end of verse 11 in chapter 4 and the opening of verse 12. I want you to understand a period of time has passed by. Approximately a year has transpired, during which time John the Baptist was arrested. Other things have occurred in Jesus' life, and other Gospels cover those events. But for the moment, just understand that there has been a passage of time. Later on in this book, we'll read about why John was arrested. But for the moment, just know, that john has been silenced herod having taken exception to his preaching has thrown him into prison this very act proves to be the moment when Jesus chooses to launch out into his public ministry. Leaving his boyhood home in Nazareth, he departs and goes to Galilee, specifically to Capernaum. Now, if you were to visit the archaeological site of the city of Capernaum today, you would see on the gates as you enter a sign that simply reads, Capernaum, town of Jesus, And so it was. Now Matthew tells us that there's a reason for this. He cites for us Isaiah chapter 9 and verses 1 and 2. And he's explaining to us that this move from Nazareth to Capernaum was actually a fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah writes, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her fixation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously, afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in the Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. So Capernaum was known as the Galilee of the Gentiles, the region having a, a, a mixed and eclectic population made up of both Jew and Gentile. And uh, it was a city that was really important in Bible times. Capernaum was not a backwater like Nazareth. It wasn't out of the way. It was at the very heart of commercial life. It was the hub of the fishing industry. It was surrounded by important territories. There was dwelling in Capernaum, a very high-ranking government official. You would also have found in that town an office there, a text office, where travelers and businessmen could come and settle their accounts. There was a large synagogue in the city of Capernaum, the remains of which may be seen to this very day. Capernaum was a busy, important, and prosperous town. In fact, outside of Jerusalem, Galilee was the most populous place in the country. The historian Josephus tells us that there existed 240 villages in that area. Each one had a population of at least 15,000 people. So when Jesus moved from Nazareth to Capernaum, he wasn't going out into some idyllic rural backwater, but he was going to a place where he would be within easy reach of up to three and a half million souls. Every caravan, every taxpayer that came through that town would be exposed to his message so that the word of him would carry throughout the land. But it wasn't just the place that proved a strategic choice. But the people who lived in that place were themselves very important to Christ's mission. You see, the Galileans were a hardy bunch. They were known as a people who delighted in seditions. And in that respect, we get a a glimpse of, of such sedition in Luke's gospel in chapter 13, where the Lord speaks of those whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. It says, there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, "'Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans "'because they suffered such things?' You see, we have a record of Galilean sedition, of Galilean rebellion against Roman rule. Now, we're not told specifically in that instance what exactly it was that raised the ire of Pontius Pilate. But what we understand is this from history. Galileans were a tough breed. They were known for their courage. They were as a people far more concerned for their personal honor and their national honor than personal gain. In other words, if the Galileans believed in a cause. They would fight for it. Now do you see why the Lord Jesus moved from Nazareth to Capernaum? This was not some uh, coincidental move. This was not some accidental thing. This was a purposeful move. It put him at the hub of life in northern Israel. It put him among people who were hardy, people who were courageous, people who were bold. Like a wise general, the Lord Jesus is beginning to put in place those things that he needs for the battle ahead so he chooses the place and he chooses the people that he wants to have around him as he embarks upon his mission in verse 17 then we read from that time Jesus began to preach and to say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand from that time from the time that John was arrested and Jesus moved into Capernaum he began to preach Herod could silence John But he would not silence Jesus. Jesus stepped in when John stepped out. And so from that time, from the time he moved to Capernaum, he began to reach out into the community seeking for disciples. And his message was exactly the same as John's. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Indeed, in Luke's gospel, chapter 13, again, when he refers to that incident involving Galilean sedition, and he asked the question, suppose you that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans. He says, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Repentance was the prerequisite for entry into the heavenly kingdom. And it still is. You see, sinners still need to Repent. You know, Sometimes I I fear that we spend so much time trying to reach the intellect of sinners, that we spend so much time trying to present them with apologetical truth and reasons to believe that we forget the age-old art of preaching and simply calling upon men who are wicked to repent and trusting the Spirit of God to deal with their heart and to lead them by His goodness to repentance. He preached concerning the kingdom of God of heaven. Repent, he says. Turn around. Change your mind. Change your ways. Change your thoughts. Change your perspective. Change your heart on this issue. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now remember the purpose of this book is to present Jesus as the king of the Jews. This is the most Jewish of all the gospels. And remember the kingdom that these Jews had been seeking and searching for was an earthly kingdom. A physical kingdom upon earth. And that's what the term kingdom of heaven represents here. Not a kingdom in heaven, but an earthly kingdom of heavenly design. An earthly kingdom of heavenly cal- Character. And that's what the Jews of Jesus' day were longing for. So, consequently, we find the free kingdom of heaven is recorded 33 times in this book, whereas the kingdom of God, which is perhaps a little bit broader in its definition, is mentioned only five times. Oh, Jesus was concerned for the downcast, he was concerned for the little guy, he was concerned for the underdog. He was concerned for the one who wasn't considered good enough. He was concerned for the outcast. He was concerned for the reject. And so he settles his ministry in the heart of Galilee. Galilee of the Gentiles, no less, in the city of Capernaum. But then notice Jesus and his disciples in verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brethren... Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Now we might think it rather strange that here are these men who are busy in their work and and a stranger comes along and he calls upon them to follow him and they simply abandon their trade. They abandon their business and they go and they follow this individual whom they've never seen in their lives before. Well that's not exactly what happened. You see, these men were already acquainted with the ministry of John the Baptist. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, we read, One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which being interpreted is the Christ. Now, that incident takes place prior to verse 12 of our reading. Some of his men might even have well they were at the Marriage Supper of Cana. The Marriage Supper of Cana takes place before verse twelve of this chapter, you remember that when Mary implored the Lord Jesus to do something because the wine had run out, he rebuked her because his time had not yet come. He wasn't ready at that point to launch out into his ministry. And so he uh, He rebukes her for asking and requiring uh, for some miraculous act on his behalf uh, that might save the day. So these men already knew something of Christ. But this day Jesus came searching for them. Maybe Jesus is coming tonight searching for you. Maybe the Lord Jesus is coming your way. Maybe he's coming by you this evening and he's going to call you unto himself. He's going to call out your name and he's going to ask you to follow him. I wonder tonight what you will do if the Spirit of God should speak to your soul and draw you to himself. Will you resist him? Will you reject the message of the gospel? Or will you do as these men did and leave everything to follow him well right here and we see something of the uh, call of god and how it operates in a man's life particularly with respect uh, to the ministry because these men peter james and john particularly were going to form the inner circle of christ's disciples and the first thing that we're told about these three men is that they and these four men indeed that they were fishermen But Jesus called them to be fishers of men. Now, we tend to think that that is a a phrase that is peculiar to the Gospels, peculiar to the ministry of Jesus, but actually, that was a common phrase in the day. Anybody who was seeking to gain converts to a particular persuasion, who were trying to appeal to people to follow a particular course of action, was referred to as a fisher of men. But given that these men were fishermen, this seems all the more appropriate, and hence Jesus used of it. Nevertheless, given their background, as this term fits well, we see how their past and their trade would have contributed to their future ministry. You know, God is God wastes nothing. Let me tell you something. When people go into the ministry, God often reaches into their past and he uses skills and gifts that they acquired in the past and brings those along with them as he leads them into his service. And it was no different with these fishermen. You see, for a start, fishermen were busy men. We see that in this text. We see two who were out just offshore casting their nets, trying to get a late catch perhaps. And then you have another two and their father who've already pulled up to the shore who are mending their nets. There's always something to do in the fishing business. And friends, if you think that ministry suits a lazy man, if you think that ministry will just be your your, your kettle of fish because, listen, you don't really want to work that hard. Let me tell you, stay away from the ministry do something else do nothing at all because you'll only do hurt to yourself and harm to the ministry if you go into it believing that it's going to be an easy ride for you god always calls industrious men to his service they were patient men you have to be a patient man to be a fisherman you know, patience is a prerequisite for any fisherman, and fish are not always the most cooperative of creatures. There would be nights of disappointment on the Sea of Galilee in times of waiting, and different seasons of the year. And so it is in the ministry. There are times when we preach in season, and times when we preach out of season. There's times when there are great harvests with many souls won to Christ. We've seen those times in our nation, but there are also times of drought, such as we are experiencing now. Times of spiritual dearth where few are responding to the gospel ministry and we need to understand that the man who goes into the ministry must be a patient man to timothy 224 paul laying out the the credentials of a minister says the servant of the lord must not strive but be gentle unto all men apt to teach patient he must be patient with people Then as fishermen, they would have been courageous men. It takes a great deal of courage to get into a ship and go out and face potentially stormy waters. And then having come into the midst of such waters to be able to wrestle that ship back to the shore. These men were going to need courage. They were going to be required to show boldness if they were going to stand up for the Lord Jesus in times ahead. And then we know they must have been team players. Because in the fishing business, well, there's no such thing as a, a lone enterprise. I mean, you can fish on your own if you're fishing recreationally. But if you're fishing commercially, it needs someone to steal the ship and, and someone to draw the nets and someone to mend the nets and so on. So these men would have been part of a team of workers. They would have known what it was to work alongside others. And so it is in the Lord's work. There's no place for individualism. Listen. There's no place for lone enterprise. It's pastor and people together. We work as a team for the glory of the Lord. Well, at the command of the Lord, these men dined their tools to follow Jesus. In verse twenty, verse nineteen, and verse twenty-two. Now, I want you to think about all that they were leaving and notice in particular verse 22 speaking of james and john it says and they immediately and notice that word it's the same word that's used in verse 20 and they straightway they immediately left the ship and their father and followed after him notice they left their ship the fact that they were mending their nets suggests that their nets had been broken by a catch. The business actually was booming for them. James and John were part of a family business. And we know that uh, from Mark's gospel, chapter 1 and verse 20, that they were the, weren't the only employees in this business. For we read that having left their father Zebedee in the ship, that there were servants in other ships who were also part of the same company. You know, the call of God, friends, intrudes upon a man's normal business. Many a man has given up a lucrative job to follow the Lord Jesus and to follow God's will for his life. You think about Elisha. Elisha was called while he was at the ply. You think about Moses who was shepherding on the backside of the desert when God called him. You think about Gideon who was busily threshing wheat when the captain of the Lord's host appeared. You think about David who was a successful shepherd boy when the Lord called him onto the battlefield and to face Goliath. You think about Amos who was a herdsman also and Peter and Andrew and James and John who were successful fishermen but it wasn't just the ship that they left notice they left also their father Peter we know had a wife and a mother-in-law who lived with him Peter had dependents yet he well, he's accepted the call to surrender to the ministry and to the service of the Lord and here James and John leave their father they just abandon him there on the shores of galilee to follow after the lord you know sometimes the call of god moves us and moves upon us to leave our family connections behind in ministry and that's not an easy thing that's a hard thing let's go back to one kings for a moment and chapter 19. one kings in chapter 19 and i want to read verses 20 and where we're reading of the... Actually, let's read verses 19 to 21. We're reading of the call of Elisha. And it says, So he departed thence and found Elisha. That is, Elijah departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew him, slew them and boiled their flesh and their, with the instruments of the oxen and gave on to the people, and they did eat. Then he rose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Notice how Elisha burnt his bridges. He actually burnt his plough. But notice also how he wants to kiss his father and his mother before pursuing God's will, before leaving the family home and heading off with Elijah to be a companion to the prophet. Now in Matthew chapter 8, by way of contrast in verse 21, we read of another fellow who is called of the Lord. And uh, Jesus says unto him in verse twenty-two, "Follow me, and and let the dead bury the dead." Why did that fellow say that? Because when he first called him, he said, "Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father." Now you ought not to compare what Elijah did with this man in the gospel and uh, uh, negatively. You see, the man's father in the gospel wasn't yet dead. You don't, you know, it wasn't that Jesus was being heartless. It wasn't like he had a funeral in the next few hours, and Jesus said, "Forget the funeral. Come and follow after me." That's not the jesus we know it wasn't that the man's father was even sick but rather what he was saying was i'll go when the circumstances are right i'll go when my father has passed away i'll go when i receive my inheritance and i have some financial security then i'll follow you jesus but elijah did the opposite Elisha surrendered his financial security. He burnt his bridges. He burnt his plow. Uh, he sacrificed his oxen. He surrendered his relationship with his mother and his father. And he kissed them and left home and pursued the will of God for his life. You see, he sacrificed for the ministry's sake. And Peter did the same thing when he left his wife and he left his mother in law. Now, without any job, now without any income, he's going going to simply trust the Lord and follow him by faith. James and John did the same thing when they left their father Zebedee in the ship. They simply pursued by faith God's will for their lives. You say, oh, they're mad. But what did Jesus say? He said, every one that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. You know, I hear from young men all the time, regularly. Young men who write to me, contact me. They want to come to our Bible college. But they want everything just to be perfect. By that I mean they want to come to Bible college. They want to train for ministry. But they don't want to make sacrifices to train for ministry. They're unwilling to leave home. They're unwilling to move house. They're unwilling to leave their careers behind. They want financial security. They want to make sure that everything is going to be bought and paid for ahead of time before they come. Listen, that's not the way it works if god calls you you must take a step of faith and do what as his bidding you must leave behind in many cases your family you must believe behind your concerns about the future you must leave behind your employment you must take that step and trust the lord and do what he asked you to do and believe that he'll provide for you Now, i'm not going to tell you that he'll make you rich in that moment And I'm not going to tell you that life is going to be easy from that point on. But I'll tell you what it will be. It'll be a school in living by faith. And you will learn some things in that school that you'll never learn in any other. Then coming back to our text in Matthew chapter 4. I want you to see not just jesus and the downcast jesus and his disciples but notice we see jesus and his dominion in verse 23 jesus went about all galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people and his fame went throughout all syria and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, and from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Notice first of all where he taught. He taught in their synagogues. You see, the Lord came onto his own. He had come on to those who were the lost sheep of the house of Israel. His message was primarily to the Jew. And notice what he taught. He came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now, that's important, especially as we're heading into chapter 5 and into the Sermon on the Mount. We need to set the stage for that. We need to set the scene for that. He's preaching concerning the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He's concerning them with the kingdom that is to come. You see the the gospel of the kingdom is a little bit different from the gospel of grace. Our message is the gospel of grace. We preach that Christ died for sinners, was buried, and rose again the third day, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord and that basis shall be saved, that if you will repent from your sin and put your trust in what Jesus did for you on Calvary's cross and believe that he was risen from the dead, well then God will grant to you everlasting life. Now Jesus' gospel was a little bit different his gospel was that God was at this point moving to fulfill his covenantal program with Israel that he was going to introduce his kingdom promised from way back into the earth there was a difference of emphasis Although in essence the response was just the same those who would wish to enter that kingdom were required to repent of their sin and to trust in Jesus as the Messiah of Israel but there's a third element here associated with Jesus' ministry and his preaching, and that's the miracles that he did. For no sooner are you told that he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom that you're told he's healing all manner of sickness, all manner of disease among the people. You see, miracles are associated with the gospel of the kingdom, not with the gospel of grace, with the gospel of the kingdom. You know, in Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 5, the prophet tells us that when the Messiah comes, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart, and the tongue of the dumb man sing. That's what you're seeing now in the, in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. You're seeing the blind made to see, the deaf are made to hear, the lame are made to, made to walk. Those miracles are associated with the gospel of the kingdom. And people who insist on making miracles accompany the gospel of grace are not rightly dividing the word of truth. They're not understanding the dispensational implications of Jesus' ministry in comparison to ours and the difference between his message and our message. It's the Jew who seeks a sign. And it is to the Jews that the signs are given. And so we read Jesus went about in Matthew chapter 9 all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues. There it is again. And preaching what? The gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Matthew 9.35 He healed every sickness, every kind of sickness, every kind of disease of anyone who came. This is very different from what we see in the supposed healing ministries of today so jesus in his strategy of basing himself in capernaum met was met with success that decision paid off For we read in verse 24 that his fame grew. His fame went throughout all Syria. And then we see that not only did his fame grow, but his following grew also. In verse 25, there followed him great multitudes of people. Well, my friends, it would be remiss of me not to make to you the same call this evening that Jesus made to his hearers, if indeed you're not a Christian. I want to call upon you tonight to repent and to believe the gospel. I want to call upon you tonight to turn from your sin and to trust in Jesus Christ. I want as a minister of Jesus Christ to implore you tonight to acknowledge yourself as a sinner before the throne of a holy God and appeal to him for his mercy in Christ and find in him grace abundance that will meet your need, save your soul, forgive your sin, and open the doorway to heaven for you. Come to him tonight. You see, without Christ, there's no hope for you. Without him, there's no heaven for you. Without his cross, there can be no forgiveness for you. Come to him tonight. But dear Christian friend, just as he called upon his disciples of old to be fishers of men, so he calls upon us to be fishers of men. Are you willing to show the same Courage, as our spiritual forefathers did, to make Christ known. Are you willing to identify with him? Maybe he's calling you tonight to prepare for ministry. Maybe you thought to yourself, I should go to Bible school someday. Maybe you thought to yourself, I should be a pastor. I should be a missionary. I should be engaged in some area of full-time Christian service. Well, let me ask you this question. Are you prepared to leave business and family to do it? Are you willing to make the necessary sacrifices to follow God's will for your life? Where would we be Tonight, if Peter and James and John and Andrew, for that matter, had not consented to the Lord's will for their lives, you know, you need to obey, you need to surrender to His call, whatever the cost. Isaiah, writing of His call, says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, sent me. You know, right by that text in his Bible, the famous evangelist Dale Moody wrote a little note which said this, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I ought to do, and what I ought to do By the grace of God, I will do. Peter did that. And Andrew did that. And James did that. And John did that. And countless thousands of men have done that down through the centuries, surrendering to God's will for their lives. I wonder tonight, if God is calling you, will you do that? Are you willing to sacrifice career? Are you willing to trust Christ for security? Are you willing to lead your family in a journey and step of faith that you might indeed fulfill God's will for your life? May God help you tonight to make that decision, to make the right decision, the one that honors and glorifies him. May God bless these thoughts to your hearts this evening. Thank you for listening in. We'll be back again, Lord willing, on Wednesday night at half past seven to resume our studies in isaiah chapter 44 do you join with us if you can on wednesday evening and otherwise we'll be back in church next sunday half past nine 11 a.m in the morning and six o'clock sunday evening you're very welcome we'd love to have you come along and be part of our services with us should be meet most welcome should you come and we trust that God indeed will encourage you and give you, uh, give you the, the will to do so. But we thank you again for listening, and we trust the Lord to bless you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for all that we've heard. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the searching truths of your word. We thank you tonight for the call to repentance and faith. And that there may be someone listening in tonight. I don't know who's listening, Father. I'm just preaching to an empty church hall. But out there in the world, someone is listening. Someone perhaps who doesn't really know Jesus as their Savior. Someone who is far from God and far from home. Lord, help them tonight to put their faith and trust... In the lord jesus christ to acknowledge themselves a sinner to repent and believe the gospel help them tonight to believe that jesus died for them was buried and rose again help them to accept that in his death he paid for our sin and help them to realize that without him there is no hope of eternal life that he alone is the way the truth and the life and no one comes unto the father but by him help them tonight to put their faith and trust in him We pray tonight for your people. Perhaps someone was listening in tonight who has heard the call of God upon their lives. Who knows that you want them to preach? Who knows that you want them to go to the mission field? Who knows that you want them to serve Him in some special way? Lord, help them tonight, not to seek to have everything all in order, all their ducks in a row, as it were. Help them, not Lord, to fall back on financial security and when all the when all the circumstances are right, but help them to. To take a step of faith help them to trust you help them to just take that little leap and uh, lord to go to step out and just to pursue the will of god for their lives lord i pray that you would use this message for your glory tonight and that your holy spirit would take it and apply it to the hearts of each one listening in jesus name amen again thank you for listening have a great evening